Welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, we're approaching 40 episodes. Can you believe that? No, I, I cannot. I can't. No, I can't. What, that I, just seems so strange. I think this is like 39. I can only remember like three of them. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, they go away pretty quick. Uh, we, we hope today will be more memorable. Now we, we've had some great ones, and and you know we're all over the road. There's some people we're introducing to you that you've never met if you're a Rick and Bubba fan. Some of you that may be seeing Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, or listening to it, and this is your only reference to the Rick and Bubba show, uh, then people that we even think you know, you don't know. Uh, but today we will be bringing to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. He's been a reoccurring guest on Rick and Bubba, the show, uh, for many years. Oh, the memories, Bubba, we've had with one Scott Dawson. You know, this interview, Rick, has been playing for months and months, and I have really been looking forward to it. Scott, welcome hey, to Scott. Rick and Bubba University. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm in the top 40. I mean, one hit wonders. If you got in the top 40, <laughs> you're excited, That's so right. I made it. You made the countdown. So those that may not know who you are, because, you know, this all these different platforms now, and I'm grabbing content, you, you don't know what level of Rick and Bubba expertise one might have. Yeah. So you um, are an evangelist. I am. Uh, your uh, ministry is the Scott Dawson Evangelistic Association. Yes. Took me years to get where I could say that. Yes. Uh, Evangelical. Yeah, I kept Ecumenical. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about a number of things. Your history with the show today. Uh, we're going to talk about what is it like to be an evangelist in the times that we're living in. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the obvious. How do you do what you do? Yep. Uh, you know, and then of course, uh, you know, a lot going on right now about uh, our biblical worldview. Uh, we'll we'll talk about um, the fact that I think we all can can come to a conclusion that we are as the United States of America, as far as this country is concerned, we are clearly post Christian. Hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that on the program today. But but first, I, I want to hit this. I, I want to talk about your internet freedom. Freedom. Do you mind me talking about that? No, Rick. Go ahead. Okay. Yep. Uh, social media companies get to decide what content, sadly, uh, that is suitable for the you know sensitive you know, the snowflakes that we have out there. It's almost mm. like we, we got to have a daddy now that tells us what, what we should and shouldn't see. And, and so if you're looking for, you know, freedom on the Internet and, and you'd like to censor whatever, you know, you don't like versus somebody else censoring what they don't like, uh, shouldn't that be, you know, your responsibility? Well, there's one thing that you can control, and that's their access to your data. And for that, that's the reason why we use ExpressVPN. Uh, see, the problem is big tech companies – uh, not only do they censor what you read, but they track what you do online. We've all seen this, and, mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's a reality. They, they track what you're searching for, the videos you watch, and everything that you click. So uh, ExpressVPN gives you that Internet freedom. Uh, when you use that, the tech companies can't see your, your IP address at all. So our identity will be masked. Yours will be too. Uh, you know, no, We're anonymous now uh, by a secure VPN server. Plus... ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and the Internet bad guys. It it may sound complicated, but it's really not. If I can do it, anybody can. Uh, It takes about a minute to set up on your computer or phone. You tap one button, and you're protected. So uh, why give these tech companies a free license to know everything about you and then turn around and sell off your information? Take back your privacy now at expressvpn.com slash rickbubba. By visiting this link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Who doesn't like to save that kind of money? Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Rick Bubba. Uh, protect your data today. 
All right, Scott Dawson is our guest here on this edition of Rick and Bubba University. What's up? Uh, What's happening? You know, do, do, do we go back in Rick and Bubba history and go back to how we met? Uh, oh. uh, does anybody remember? Does anybody remember the story? Do you remember it, Scott? I do. Okay, Kevin so. Derryberry. Okay, Kevin Derryberry. Uh, we were doing an event at the uh, Hoover Met with the Barons, who used to play out there, and we were going to try to do an evangelistic uh, event after a game. And so Kevin was like, "Hey, do you know Rick and Bubba? I knew of you guys, but I'd never met you." And so he was the one that made the connection. You guys came out, and you were, you were. You were a baby in the faith and yes. just really getting serious about it. And Bubba, you, you'd already been a follower of Christ, and you got out there, and that was the infamous uh, model plane that was flying around. Was that the first time? That was the first time oh, we were together. I felt like I knew you before that, but that little plane that was being flown by the devil himself was, uh, that, that was something. Big Red. I remember yep. the, he mentions the Barons. That's a minor league baseball team. Probably most of you that may not know made famous by Michael Jordan. Yes. Because when he played minor league baseball, he played for the Birmingham Barons. So they have a stadium here in town, which was talk about again today sure that is back uh, in in dawson's world so bub and i were invited to be there and you mentioned why so when you get ready to deliver your message you know bub and i are, are new to hearing you preach mm-hmm. and some person gets in a parking lot behind the stadium and starts buzzing us flying a model airplane with a model airplane and it, and it had that real high pitch sound so distracting it. to everybody that was there and and it was very distracting and and you know there was there was some aggravation, but then there's also some comedy to that. And what was funny during the whole thing is he stopped, and we thought, well, finally he realizes he's distracting. No, he was just refueling. Yeah. Yes. And then up he went again. <laughs> and, I mean, that's 20 years ago, so I was a lot younger. <laughs> was that 20 years ago? Yeah. I boldly said, y'all have prayed that devil out of here because he was in the big red plane. I remember that. And then he comes right back. <laughs> So, when when Bubba said what he just said, he goes, "If we could look inside that little cockpit, there's a, there's a little tiny version of the devil himself driving that plane, trying to nosedive the gospel." While, while, while we got to laughing, I mean, it was one of those church laughs too, where yeah. I was dying. I could because it was funny. I don't, you know, it was a serious serious time, but it was funny, and you were you were fighting through it, but that even made it funny. It did. So so then that relationship starts, but. For those that may not know your story, go back to you. When, when, how did you become an evangelist? Yeah, back in – I received Christ as a child at a crusade, so I guess that kind of leads into it. But throughout my childhood, early teens, I was just a happy-go-lucky guy, but I got really serious about my faith in high school. I wanted to just share my faith. I, and so I never said I wanted to be an evangelist. It was just out of the overflow of my life. And in fact, when I when I surrendered to ministry, uh, I walked down the aisle. Back then, you had a come forward invitation. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Okay. But back then, you did. Right. And so on Sunday sort morning— Sort of like Acts chapter 2. Well, yeah. But, but anyway, go ahead. What should we do about this? Right. Anyway, so I went forward. I grabbed the pastor's hand, told him I was going into ministry. He set me down in the front pew, closed the service, walked out. I mean, he never even said anything to me. So the next Sunday, I did the same thing. Walked down during the invitation, grabbed his hand. He set me down, and lo and behold, I am so gullible. I fell for it twice. He walked out. So I got an appointment with his secretary, and I remember walking in and going, hey, I am called to ministry. Either you're going to help me or I'm going to go out and find somebody to help me. I just don't know what to do about this. And at that point, he gave me some brilliant insight. He said, I can't tell you how many times people will make a decision out of emotion 
or just out of, you know, the, the spur of the moment. He said, but you can always tell a calling because you can't get away from it. It just continues to grow. And so he became one of my best friends, a mentor in my life. But at that moment, I knew I'd, man, I'd love to be a pastor if I was called to be one, but I wasn't. I wasn't called to be a missionary. I wasn't called to be a music guy. And back in the 80s, you didn't really have a lot of choices. So we'd heard about this guy named Billy Graham. I didn't know anything. You know, I'd seen him on TV, but my dad actually called up to Minneapolis, spoke with someone on the phone who turned out to be the third guy in command of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. They kind of took us under their wings. They helped us formulate. And then I developed some relationships with other evangelists. And I realized, you know, uh, it is a calling in your life. I, I just have a passion for people to come to know Jesus. Okay, and Bubba, we've talked about this before, but I think this is an important question because I get this a lot in okay. email, and and it's and, and frankly, it's hard to describe. And and Bubba helped me with it the first time by talking about if there's something that you just can't seem to get a piece about. You mentioned it; it just like it won't leave you alone. But I get emails all the time, and maybe that is the answer. How do you know when you're being called? How do you know? I, I get that email a lot, and, and I, I have a hard time explaining it. Yeah, It's difficult to explain because somebody says, when, when you feel like that God called you to fill in the blank, how did you know it was a call? Yeah, to me, it was just it, it's so overwhelming, I couldn't get away from it. I mean, it literally consumed my life. And it was not only—some people say that's passion. I, th- I think of it as calling— and then the Apostle Paul says the peace that passes understanding, the perfect peace that happens when you're involved with that. Uh, I think when those two things line up, passion and peace, you're in your calling. Now, he'll never call you to do something against his word, Correct. contrary to his word. He'll never call you to do something that's unethical, illegal, immoral. But as he calls you into something, you're going to find that passion you can't get rid of, and you're going to find the peace that you experience when you're, when you're actually doing it. And I think most of the times, too, uh, a calling usually doesn't just fall into place. Like you're talking about, there's usually a process right. of a calling, and it takes time. And you've seen that in Bible stories, too, that, uh, that, that, that there's just a process you have to walk through. And then when you get in the spot where you've answered that call, you know you're in the right spot. It's like the Apostle Paul. He was called to go to Rome. Now, he didn't get there the way he thought he was going to get there. Right. But he had that calling to Rome, and he had that passion. He had the peace, and then he had the process. He had to go through Macedonia, but he did get right. to Rome. And I think that's how it is in our lives. So you start what? You start <laughs> the, you start the Scott, do do? The Scott <laughs> Dawson Evangelistic Association. How did that happen? Yeah, well, we started—I started by sharing my faith in high school. You start where you are, and that's a, per, that's a great piece of advice for everyone out there that want to have big dreams— don't wait till the dreams come true. Start doing it now where you are. So I started sharing my faith. Then people started inviting me to do uh, Youth Sunday at their church, and then that developed into going around doing youth revivals at the end of the Jesus Movement kind of deal. Of uh, at the very end, we went into the youth revival days. I would speak in schools. I've done over two thousand uh, junior and senior high school assemblies on self-respect. That night, we would have them come back for a pizza blast. Thank God for pizza. They were, that was the anointed manna of the 80s yeah. and 90s. <laughs> then we started having concerts. Bubba used it for car lot remotes. You That's, used it for that. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I've yeah. been extremely blessed by that manna. You have. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. It was the only thing we could have. But when we started doing conferences, that's when there was financial involvement that I went, I don't want that coming into my pocket. I don't want that coming into my account. 
So that's when we called the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. They're the ones who set us up. And uh, from day one, I was never on a love offering percentage. I was always on salary. And at that point, it was very little because there was not much there. And it just kind of grew. And uh, people ask, you know, what, what has been your biggest temptations? And I go, man, Billy Graham had such an insight to this. There's a thing called the Modesto Manifesto that he and his team got together and they kind of realized what are the downfalls of evangelists. And they created, these are our manifestos, what we will not compromise. And that was sexual purity. That was financial integrity, uh, doctrinally uh, sound, uh, getting away from emotional manipulation and not talking bad about other ministries. And those were the five. And to me, if, if you can abide by those five, you're you're 98 percent ahead of the uh, of the game. So that's how we've always tried to operate. So really, you you looked at the example of a ministry that, as far as today is concerned, and for Billy Graham himself, except he did admit that some of the things he with him and Nixon, and even back to Truman, there were some things decisions he made politically that he said he regretted. Uh, as far as you know, when you you have to be careful when you you throw your arm around a politician. But other than that, as far as the five things you just mentioned. He seemed to go into the presence of the Lord, abiding by those five, and he never had this big moral failure that we sadly we see too many times. Absolutely. Billy's my hero. He's not my idol, and he's not infallible. He, right. was, he was a fallible human being, but he was passionately followed after Christ, just like all of us. I mean, I, look, I, I could write a book on the mistakes an evangelist makes outside of those five. I mean, you know, we have big visions, and then we have to have that reality uh, come into you. There was things that we, we had incredible successes with some events and some just outward, uh, just devastating failures on other events. But our passion is there, and we try to plan like it is going to be there, and we go after it. And sometimes it works. Like you guys have been with us in the in the great successes. You've walked with me through the uh, through the failures. Well, we'll we'll come and back. There's a bunch of them. Well, let me say this though. I think sometimes, and there's been you know a very famous country song about it. Uh, we need to thank the Lord for unanswered prayers. That's right. Absolutely. And so, boy, boy, you dodged a big one. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna unpack that because life because this would be you right now with oh. the, with the partnership of the Rick and Bubba Show and the Scott Dawson Evangelistic Association. It has led to a number of stories. We'll we'll unpack some of those and then we'll talk about exactly what Bubba's talking about when the Rick and Bubba University podcast continues. All right, so we're we're talking about now. You you've entered into the Rick and Bubba years. Yes. Uh, now now you're 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 now partnering with us, and I'm sure. Did anybody ever sit down with you and go, "All right, we're an evangelistic association. We are minister ministering, and and you 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 certainly do other things, but you felt like your call was to youth. Mm-hmm. And and quickly, why 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 youth? Well, because the stats are there. Uh, the if It's like 85% of people come to know Christ come before the age of 18. So it's not like our God can't break those stats. The gospel goes out to everyone. But we try to pinpoint the audience that we can see the best response from, and that seems to be students. But we never go into it saying it's exclusively students. But the one thing we have found out, if you get students excited, everyone gets excited. So the adults will come to something that's designated for students. It's hard to get students to go to something that's designated for adults. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and or as John Thomas taught me with Living Hope South Africa, it's much easier to disciple a child as, a, as opposed to fix a broken man. Yes. Uh, and you can do both, and God can do both. Mm-hmm. But, but if you start raising them up the right way, uh, usually that's how you change a generation of people. 
And what we're seeing right now is our country is changing because we've seen a generation of young people that are being indoctrinated into a Marxist, godless, socialistic view. So uh, we need to counter that by, by that same approach on discipling a generation. Yeah, and Barna was warning about this in the 90s. He said if something doesn't drastically change, we're going only going to reach 4% of this generation. Well, by golly, we didn't do anything different, and we reached 4%. And look what it's got us. I mean, we're living in an unseated generation now. You can grow up in America. I'm not talking about other parts of the world. You can grow up in America and never hear about a biblical worldview. You, you can't grow up without hearing a secular worldview. You get that through uh, everything. media, yeah. education, Music, everything. Yeah. Yep. But you can grow up without ever hearing about a biblical worldview. And when people hear about a biblical worldview, it's attractive to them because it starts to answer the tough questions of society. It hit me uh, 12 years ago uh, when my wife was on the beach in San Diego. She had gone out to run on her own. The rest of us, of course, were, you know, we didn't yeah. answer that call. No. <laughs> and she encountered uh, teenagers. And she began to talk to him about Christ. One uh, rejected what she had to say. The other two said they had never heard it before. Yep. Yep. In San Diego, mm-hmm. had never heard the gospel in their entire lives. So when you decided to, because you know, we are to engage the culture, we're a secular show. You know, like we said, we're not a we're not Christian radio. We're 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 Christians who do radio. Right. And was there pushback? When people, when you start saying, I think we need to partner with these guys, was there ever, no, 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 let's stay in our lane. You don't, you don't <laughs> you, want to go out there with those you, guys. You want to unfold this. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Because we never talked about it. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, I had to go up against. This is Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. We, we unpack things you don't hear on the show. Now, I mean, you got to understand, now the platform for you guys is huge for the gospel. But back then, um, you know, it was... It was rough around the edges, yeah. if we could say say it like that. If you don't believe that, listen to Best of Shows. Yes. But anyway. And so I had friends, I had uh, pastors go, are you sure? Are you sure about them? And again, how do you know for sure? You just have to go with your gut and trust it. I was like, yeah, these guys, these guys are, um, they're on the up and coming list. You better watch them. They're going to be bold. And so, and it just, our paths just intersected so many different ways. Um, and they became classic now sometimes you put me on the spot and you got me in trouble yes I'll never forget about the passion of the christ one of the famous ones that the passion house yes yep. and that was one of those where um mark uh whitlock was the one who walked in at the very end of the hour i had escaped it because you didn't know about it right and mark whitlock have you not told him about what happened last night right and then it all unfolded on the air. And that was probably the most one of the most uncomfortable moments of my life. Yeah, those of you that don't know what we're talking about, it's on the Best of CD. And you can find it on, on Apple on where all of our stuff is located if you don't have a hard, Forever and ever. a hard copy. Mark Whitlock is a friend of ours that has gone on into eternity, and he was as big a practical joker. Because we didn't know Gary at the time, those of you that are familiar no, with Gary. Right. He was as big a practical joker, if not more, than Gary. And so he made sure that I got the information, and we had a friend of ours who's very passionate. Yes. And, and he said, we can't let the Passion of the Christ movie not be used as an evangelical too. Do we all agree right. with that? Right. Yes. He it's said great. people are going to be coming out. it was. It was, it was earth-shaking at the and time. And you remember how people yeah. responded in the theaters. Yeah. And he said people are going to come out of these theaters, and they're going to be wanting to an- some questions answered. So he set up a, a, a place yes. where we would answer the questions you might have about Christ as you left the Passion of the Christ movie. Yes. He set up near one of the theaters. 
Right across the street, well, yeah. down the street from one. So we had a, some other friends that had a sign <laughs> company, and we had our church that let us borrow one of the vans. Yes. Well, we decided that some people might not know how to get to what was called the Passion House. Yes. That's where you come to answer questions, or um, you get your questions answered. Post-movie. About, about yeah. the passion of the Christ after the movie. Yeah. Great idea. Wonderful theory. Yeah. Wonderful theory. And so Scott, of course, uh, <laughs> decided he would drive the van for everybody that said, follow me to the Passion House. <laughs> Meaning, if if you didn't know where it was, are you okay, Bubba? If you don't, if you don't know where it was, it again in my mind. this oh van, my this van would help you find it, right? Okay, and it was raining. Got questions? Follow me to the Passion House. Well, right. a van has doors that open and shut. Big so they, magnetic sign. So they made the magnetic sign. Follow me to the Passion House. Yes. Part of the sign was on one door. Part was on the other. So you put a split in it. So you it could open to. because you could open the doors and shut them. Well, it rained, sadly. Hard. It was raining. Really, a lot of rain. Bad weather. A lot of rain. Well, undoubtedly, magnetic signs don't do well in the rain. We (laughs) we didn't know that. And so our our friend, the evangelist, uh, the evangelism, whose name is on the ministry, the Scott Dawson Evangelistic Association, is driving the van, wanting to lead people to Jesus. And I appreciate that. That's your passion. That's my passion. But part of the sign had fallen off. Sadly, sadly, uh, part of the sign fell off. And and now our friend, the evangelist, is driving around a van that's telling people to follow him, but not to the Passion House. Um, to the pa- Passion Ho. To the, the, it's yeah. a podcast. There we can it say it. There there it go- yeah. We never said it on the air. O-U-S-E that. had fallen off. <laughs> so it just had but, an H-O. But, but follow me to the Passion stayed there and parked. Attendance was good that yeah. night, though, guys. Oh, Attendance was yeah. good. Now, we did have a crowd. <laughs> now, the, fact, crowd. the fact that the sign said passion, too, that, yeah, that, that, that you know, that, follow oh, me yeah, that, that, to the passion, yeah. H-O. I mean, so that's that, what was on the side of the van. Right. Now, here's where you got in trouble with all of your elders and people who try to keep you out of you trouble. You brought it on the radio the next day. Right. You you said, and you've learned over the years, right? Oh. They got four hours to fill, guys. Yes. And, and your phone always starts. They're talking about it. Because your 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 people that work for your ministry said, "Look, it happened. Y'all laughed about it at the place." Oh yeah, but, it was hilarious. Scott, it may have been it's, one of the it, funniest it, yeah. things I had. I remember. I thought I, I was going to pass out. I, I couldn't see. breathe. But oh. you know, they probably you pro- they probably because knowing you and your heart, oh, yeah. and then but I I could just see the visual of that thing piling in with all these people just come out from this very deep experience. Follow uh, me, uh, follow me to the Passion HO. Right. Bubba, and just the, his face up front driving it with so much confidence. Yeah, yeah. And that, just that, inviting. Yeah, just yeah. an inviting, just inviting happy face. face. We yeah. had gone through the entire hour, and we, nothing had happened until Mark Whitlock walked in and said, hey, you're not going to talk about what happened last night? And it just went you didn't down. Want me to, you didn't want me to know, did oh, that was gold. No. Let me oh, tell you what gold. I was able to do the next day. I was able to confidently walk into my partner and my friend, business partner, and friend's <laughs> office and say, let let me have the seven o'clock hour. I, I, I've got I've got our segment for today, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah, so. so with those kind of things that happened, um, you know, I wish I could say they were planned. It just happened out of spontaneity, and so many of them happened right. that all of a sudden my friends were like, "Hey, what kind of segment are you gonna bring on the best of CD right. this year?" And you're on a number of them. Oh, uh, the prank that was heard around the world. Yes. Uh, when Gary pulled the prank on you and, and another friend of ours. Uh, yeah, when you I saw you at Disney World. That Disney was World, Eddie was sick. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my wife's favorite ones because she was. It was involved not with my that. favorite one. No, yeah, I'll tell you that. But we thought she was fine. Right, and that's right. when the famous line came out that Bubba said, 
He's, he's an evangelist, not a saint. Not a saint. <laughs> Gosh, what a that good line. That I almost became a shirt. Well, it, it just kind of blurted out. I didn't give it a lot of it's thought. Great I probably should have thought a little more before I blurted it, it out. It, 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 was, it was a great one. <clears throat> so there, there's been a number. That's uh, when Scott left me with Betty, who is hypoglycemic, passed out, and two small kids at Disney World. Yeah, and see, and, and, and blocked. Da- I couldn't even get out because Gus the mule was leading a parade. Right, <laughs> and Dawson went by to check on the bussies, but didn't help. And, uh, well, and he, he, he was, was, he was, he was moving on. Right. I had fast he, he was passes. busy. I had fast passes. I thought, hey, help's finally here. <laughs> well, you think a man of God? You know, who wants to help the least of these? Like Betty laying here. <laughs> <laughs> She still had color. She was fine. Yeah, she hadn't passed out right. the door of the animal kingdom yet. Well, block traffic. Look, if you want the Dawsons to help you. Put our kids in a locker where they had luggage. If, <laughs> look, let me tell you, if you're at Disney, the Dawsons can help you find the ride yeah, and yeah. fast passes. Yeah. Uh, but they, uh, they're they not overly helpful if you're if you're going to bog down the trip. It's just that's yeah. just been a lot of fun we've had over the years, Scott, and I appreciate you for that. Yeah. Oh. So you you go through um, that. But then we had more fun. Yeah. And, no, then, and, and, then, and then you decided you would run for governor. Yeah, after both of you turned us down. Right. Well, you, you know, it's... Let's put it like it is. We were trying right. to find somebody that could lead our state. Well, I'll go back to this again. And, and Bubba has the line about he's an evangelist, not a saint. <laughs> and I will always have the line. When I said to you, after you tried to talk Bubba into it and me into it, I said, well, if you're so big about it, why don't you just run? Right. I was just kidding. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, it's so you decide... Tell it, honestly, straight up. Sure. What, what happened there? I mean, because back to calls again. Yeah, and then, and then we're going to talk about the call, and then we're going to talk about what do you think God was teaching you in that? Sure, and I and I uh, and do you thank God for not letting that take place <laughs> now? Right, seeing what the leadership of our state is having to deal with. <laughs> right, do you, do you sing the Garth Brooks song? I'm thankful for an unanswered <laughs> prayer. Well, back to when 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 it all took place, uh, we Alabama was in shambles. We had had sexual misconduct. We'd had scandals. We'd had people removed from offices. Uh, we'd had arrests being made, and at one point there were like three executive officers that had actually been elected to their position. Everybody else had been rearranged, and I became part of a group that wanted to find somebody. I mean, it was a grassroots effort, and so— I we, thought you were punking me, Scott. No, I, know no, I, I mean, I remember Caleb and I meeting with you, and, oh, yeah. and so— Rick, uh, I started looking around. I know. And everybody kept saying, well, Dawson, if you're so interested in this, you need to pray about it. And so um, we kind of took 21 days of prayer and fasting. And man, on that 20th day, it was so overwhelming in my life uh, that I, Tara could even tell there was a difference. And I was like, man, I really sense this is what we need to do. And we got into it. And I felt like we, you know, it's kind of like what we always say as a Christian, you don't have to earn the right to speak, but you do have to earn the right to be heard. And as a jumping into politics, it was a whole different arena for me. So I was I was showering in policy. I was I was learning day in and day out what was going on and what needs to take place. And uh, it really helped me learn to think on my feet. It helped me to remove any type of intimidation factor, because for 18 months I lived with everything being out in front of society and we lost i mean we we gave it everything we had and we all started drinking the kool-aid thinking man this could actually happen this could actually happen i tell everyone uh, we didn't lose a straw poll we walked into a room we earned the respect of people in the room the problem is i had i, I had captured their heart but i didn't i didn't capture their mind and so when they left with signs they went home and they were bombarded with advertisements. And we didn't have the money for advertising. Sure. We had about three hundred and fifty thousand for advertising. Our opponent had 
close to five million. So it was just being steamrolled over us. And I tell that to church leaders today. I go, when we get them in the room, we've captured their heart. But when they walk out of our congregation and they go home and exactly. get back into life, we've not their mind has not been captured. That's the reason Paul says take every thought captive to Christ, because when you get the mind You've got their actions. So, well, and then Jesus makes that that say, you know, you the, the greatest commandments twofold, and He says, "Love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." Your mind, your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Mind is there, and I think, as we've said, we underestimate that, and we talk about this a lot uh, on the show. Is really, if you want the greatest example of how the mind is easily manipulated, or are called to something, or influenced, because I get this a lot of people who don't take it serious what they expose themselves to. Uh, you know, they say, oh, you know, I, know, I know I'm saved, I know I'm justified, no, it doesn't matter, I, it don't bother me, and all this. And I'm like, if on the Super Bowl somebody will pay $5 million yep. for 30 seconds of your attention, and they usually don't get all 30 seconds, hmm. and they pay $5 million for 30 seconds, they know it influences you. So, or, yep. or, or else they're awful stupid with money. Yep. And that's what we, we ran into. Right. And so at the end, uh, I shared this with you guys, that both Tara and I had written down in our prayer journals, obedience demands no explanation. And we kind of take it back with our kids. If you just have children that obey you when they understand, that's not being obedient. That's being complicit. You obey even when you don't understand. And so we walk through that. I am firmly convinced, even to this day, that we did exactly what the Lord called us to do. Uh, you know, some people say, are you glad you didn't win? Uh, you know, I, I think the Lord would have prepared me for this moment, just like he prepared right. me for that moment. And, um, you know, I, I think our governor has done an adequate job, and, and I think that some things she has done I've disagreed with, but some things she, a lot of things she's done I have agreed with. And so it just wasn't, uh, that wasn't my direction, but I do believe the process was part of my calling. And the perfect example of that, of that was when Kanye West uh, experience happened, and Kanye called me. I know old Scott. Prior to the governor's run, I could I would not have been able to speak to him. But because you learn to learn to think on your feet, I was able to have a coherent conversation with him, drag that out, allow him to come to our conference, and was able to develop a friendship with one of the icons of the world who <laughs> was running for president last week. Well, just you for know, a few days. A, a couple of things too in that, and and you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Just because you didn't win does not mean you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Exactly. And I know you met a lot of people. You've had a lot of great experiences out of that, made a lot of contacts. Um, and, you know, it's uh, – and I, I still run into people now who I know that you met who told me, said, hey, Scott, I never met him before. I really enjoyed getting to know him and meeting him, and it was a great process. Um, so, you know, again, I, I, I don't think that some people will always go, well, it might not have been God calling cause you didn't, I don't think that's how it works because I've been involved in things too, that were not successful in human terms, but it was preparing me and, and it was a success on a spiritual level. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and at the time too, just so everybody remembers, uh, our current governor had not entered the race when we told Scott we were going to support him either. So she kind of decided late in the process she was going to run. Yeah, yeah but, but I think you guys are making the, the bigger point. If God calls you to do it, you do it. 
Yep. And you're already laying out things that even the process of running for governor of a state, you what I'm hearing you saying is you learn things through that process that now make you better at your absolute call, which is to be an evangelist. Absolutely. To be, because we've got to engage culture, and I think the church right now is very confused in America. Oh, they, my they, goodness. They, the church seems terrified, afraid, um, and which I don't think is good because it looks like that we're not under the authority of God right now. You never make decisions out of fear. Well, we said on the, on the show today, if you were listening to it um, live, and we record these things on Thursday, Scripture says to be anxious about nothing. So what does that mean, to be anxious about nothing? It also says that we're not called to a spirit of fear. Now, that doesn't mean we're not called to a spirit of fear of God, because we know we are. Right. But we're not called to be fearful of the world, to be fearful of human beings. And, um, and, I, and I'm seeing that right now. It's, it's, I, I, see, I see congregations, and I'm talking about the American church, mm-hmm. because uh, I also talked about the, your experience of going to the Coptic Christians of Egypt who were having a, church in a cave yep. because they would be killed if they were found and you and some other i talked about this in one of the wednesday bible studies you and uh, some other pastors of course what americans always think the american church is here to help you yes and what did they tell you that we, we don't want your help you'd be more of a distraction than a help why don't you just pray for us and do not pray that the persecution ends pray that we have the boldness to be faithful during the persecution what a statement for the church of america today yeah but let's not pray for the pandemic to necessarily end. Let's pray for wisdom and boldness to be able to live with this virus instead of walking around being scared we're going to die from it. Yeah, you go to you go to the the, the book of Acts, and that's exactly what happens when they first get martyred, or, or they're being threatened to be martyred. Yeah, uh, it says that John and and Peter returned to the other believers, and they told them, "Hey, they said they're probably going to kill us if we if we don't stop talking about Jesus." And then when they heard that they now had been marked to be martyred are jailed, are whipped, are punished, they celebrated because now they thought they were more like Jesus. And then the book of Acts tells us clearly they begin to pray for boldness. They did not pray for the persecution to end. They prayed that they wouldn't embarrass Christ when persecution came. They prayed for boldness. And I do not see a bold American church right now. Yeah. And maybe that's unfair for me to make a blanket statement. I'm sure there's exceptions. There's but bold believers. No, yeah, no doubt. And pockets of bold fellowships. But um, to me, if there's ever been a time where America needs a word of hope, it is right now. And where is that hope? It's found in Christ. Right. We, we have the answer. Uh, and even when I was running for office, I would say politics shouldn't be our only answer. It should be our last resort, not our first and only option. And that's where everyone seems to be turning, is that our government is our hope. And right now, everyone in society knows they've been failed by everything. They've been failed by the government. They've been failed by education. They've been failed by health care, uh, by religion, by even family uh, nucleus setups. So if everyone's looking around going, all I see is failure, where is the one place I can put my hope and trust that does not fail? And that is in Christ. And by the way, there is not an immunity against pain and suffering. Jesus was the only perfect person on this planet. If anyone could have gotten out of here without any problems, it would have been Jesus. But the Bible calls him a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. So we're not talking about immunity from pain and suffering. Look at who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. But what we do have an immunity against is guilt and misery. And that's what Christ offers us, a hope, a steadfast assurance that he's got it all under control. Scott, you you were talking about the church, uh, and obviously pockets that are where it needs to be, but overall not. What, 
how do you define that? Where is the failing of the American church right now? Uh, I think the failing of the church right now is we've kind of put our trust in it. Let me give it to you like this. John the Baptist, before he was beheaded, he sent his apostles to Jesus the night before he was to be executed, and they had one question. Are you the Messiah? Are you, are you who you say you are? Are, are you are, the one? Are you the one? Yeah. Should we go around and find other? And I believe a lot of the churches in America— have, have got to put themselves at that point. We've got to look at Jesus and go, are you the one, or should we look elsewhere? Because it seems like we're putting our trust in everything but the power of the gospel. I, I believe a lot of times when the pulpit is filled, it's filled with people who have lost confidence in the gospel. Not all the time, but several times. And we've got to come back to the point of going, Jesus still changes lives. He's changed my life, he's changed your life, and he can change anybody's life if you submit to the Lordship of Christ. We, we're dealing with a lot of racial issues in our country now. Um, how do you see the church dealing with some of that? Because there, there is some underlying uh, undertow out there, and we've read the stories today, that, uh, that, that it's racist just to be a Christian because you're, you're telling me that I have to answer to predetermined rules of life that uh, really don't apply to me. It's, it's your culture that came up with that, not mine. How, how do we how do we battle that that mentality? Yeah, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. They're not entitled to their own facts. And so I think we've got right now a lot of people out there with their opinion, and they're being driven by emotion. Mm-hmm. The the following of Christ is I'm I'm dictated by the truth. And so you know, to me, I go the difference is emotion is a lot like your pulse. Truth is like your muscle. Pulse goes up and down with emotional situations. But your muscle stays consistent. And right now, more than ever before, we need believers that know the truth, be able to stand on the truth, and be able to articulate the truth. To go, yeah, you're saying it's a pre-designed set of rules, but let me talk to you about being a follower of Christ and what that actually means. To, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're, you're following something already. Right. You're just not aware of it. And for a follower of Christ, I'm the one that can share with you the, 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 the price that Christ paid for your sin and for my sin— that's the one thing everybody knows about, the universal nature of we've all done something wrong. You, you ask anyone, is, have we all done something? We've all done something wrong. How do you rectify that? And it's, it, it's two, of, uh, two, two paths. Either you're going to try to de- determine it your own way, or you follow truth that realize Jesus has already paid that price for you. Do you think the church, uh, th- that we have done enough to battle racism, uh, perceived racism, uh, the social issues we're dealing with, have we done enough, or how can we better combat that? Yeah, I think um, right now um, there is one of those situations where uh, I think we're just coming out of rage, and now we can start to reason. Now now we can sit down and have conversations. Um, you know, it, as a follower of Christ, and that's that's where I'm bound by, um, you know, there's not enough room for the love of Christ and for, for a racist attitude. Right. You know, Scripture speaks so clearly into that. Has the church failed in times past? Yeah, we, we've missed the boat on, on a lot of things. But, you know, usually we do come back and try to 
uh, rectify that. William Wilberforce, he lived his life to make sure the, uh, the abolition of slaves in the UK, it came after his death. Mm-hmm. So you don't always see it <clears throat> right. when it actually happens. But people are wanting things to turn on a dime. When I go, what we could really do is start the process to see a long-term change that takes place. Um, you know, so are we doing enough? No. But should we do uh, everything that everyone's asking us to do? No. I think it's time where we come together and reason it out and go, all right, what is the basis behind that? How can we make this where it is Christ-honoring? And that's what we all want to be. And you know, too, I I know that uh, when all is said and done, we know when we get to heaven one day that many nations, many tongues are going to be represented. I mean, the Bible tells us that. So to be a racist and to be a Christian just doesn't wash, does it? It doesn't. Well, I, and, well, I would go a step further. Uh, if you read what Paul was saying to uh, in Colossians, mm-hmm. if you read what Paul was saying in Ephesus, uh, we had a racial problem when the church was put together. James has to be called to the Jerusalem Council in Acts, and they the said, book of Acts. They said, yeah. "Hey, the Jews and the Gentiles don't want to be one church. Yep. The Jews are saying they got to become like them, and the Gentiles are saying you got to become like us." And James went in and says, hey, let me clarify this for you. You're not going to – we are one race of people yep. now under the church. And I think that's another thing. We're afraid to say that. I think a lot of churches, like you said, are falling all over themselves to fall into the world's idea of how to resolve this. Yep. The church should never follow the world's idea to solve anything. Nope. And so Scripture says in Colossians and Ephesians that the church is one race of pe- people, period. And here there is no Greek, here there is no Jew, here there is no barbarian, there is no Scythian, there is no slave, and there is no master. Yep. Okay? And so, which means he's looking in this room saying, all of you are represented here, but when you come into this house, you drop all your individuality and all your ethnicities, and you become one race of people as followers of Christ. Yep. And and that's clear in Scripture. You, you go into Ephesians, and he says, hey, Gentiles, at one time, y'all were so far off. Yep. You, you, you couldn't be who we are as Jewish people. And, and now Christ has brought you near to now say you have access to the same standing with God as we do. And see, that's equality. Yep. It's always found at the foot of the cross, everyone in equal need of, of redemption. Nobody is a better ethnicity than anybody else because at the foot of the cross nobody's ethnicity is going to call the, cause them or enable them to strut into heaven yeah and and so i we i don't know we're not preaching that well I, and i'll go back to you bubba uh this is a statement that i go back to is when rick and i first became friends he was going to teach me how to be humorous and i was going to teach him how to preach <laughs> i'm a much better teacher than he is <laughs> he is out there now man he is there was a time when i couldn't give you more than 5 I, minutes I just, on the platform or i was afraid you were going to cuss or uh, or or hit somebody well i still got a long way to go yeah but now you get up there and you just go boy you right, go let's talk about what's happening now uh, we'll do that uh, right after this and you got rick and bubba university the podcast all right, so Dawson, I know we're running out of time, and we yeah, literally, we're, wrap we're literally down to yep. men. We're, ah. we, we could we could go we could do multiple podcasts. You got to do gatherings. You're an evangelist, but everybody says you can't do gatherings. Uh. Okay, remember protests you can do, church gatherings you can't. Uh. Shouldn't uh, we just get together to protest sin? Yeah. So <laughs> you wouldn't have to wear a mask good. then. I, that's I guess. Good. Uh, the night of hope. 
Yes. So how many? How how long has it been since you've been able to do any kind of game? March sixteenth, but who's counting? Right. March sixteenth was my last uh, live event this year, and so I'm supposed to preach this Sunday, which I'm. You know, you just kind of every time the phone rings, now you go, oh, there's a <laughs> Hold your breath. Thirty-seven yeah. events have uh, canceled or postponed, yeah. so it's just been a wiping of the calendar. But there is, I, I mean, to me, I guess it is just time for us not to be careless. But there is a way you can be socially distant and still have an event live in front of people. So what do you just call Night of Hope? And how? How's, what's the format? Sure, Night of Hope Tour. We felt like if the world's ever needed hope, it's right now. We've got guys uh, and gals that are coming together that just exude joy and fun because I think it needs to have a, an aspect of fun entertainment to it. We've got Tarn Wells. Who, uh, who? If you've never heard him, uh, the You'll way love this guy, Bubba. the way you see him in concert, this is the way I describe him. And please just follow along with me. It was like if Michael Jackson and Bruno Mars had a baby that turned out to be a Christian singer. I mean, that's <laughs> it, it's that. Well, that's a high bar right there. Uh, it is. It, it is the most amazing concert uh, uh, that you'll ever witness. And then Crowder, David Crowder, his band. I mean, it's like a traveling garage sale. They use all kinds of instruments. I'll be in the middle. I'll share a message of hope. And uh, it's coming to five different cities, Oklahoma City, Knoxville, Tennessee, Sevierville, Birmingham, Hoover, Madison, Huntsville, and Montgomery, Alabama. It's the first weekend in August. And you quickly, with about 40 seconds, you set up a baseball field or an athletic field, yep. and, you, and you've spaced it out yep. so, so that all the different requirements are met to be able to be there. 50% occupancy, you're either going to be able to sit in the stands or be able to go on the infield. We'll have spaces for you to bring your blankets, and you can have time there. So it'll last from about 6.30 till about 9, and it's uh, you can get more information, nightofhopetour.com, or go to Rick and Bubba, I'm sure, and you guys will set up a link. Yeah, and also you can go to scottdawson.org or scottdawson.com, and it's there as well. Yep. Love you, brother. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being with us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University.